We are actually coming uh, this morning to the very end of a series called Counter Cultural Convictions, in which we've addressed a series of topics um, where when you take God's perspective through the scriptures, where we land our feet is countercultural. Uh, there's a famous man named H.H. H. Farmer that says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you'll get splinters. If you move and live in such a way against the grain of the universe, you'll get splinters. And so the question is, well, what's the grain of the universe? Well, the Bible would say it's God, that God upholds the universe by his powerful word, and in him everything holds together. So we say, as we follow God, we want to follow God according to who he is, according to what he says, and go with the grain of the universe rather than against the grain. So the way in which we end this series that has had kind of two parts to it, but we've talked in this series about generosity, the vulnerable, sexuality, human nature, all of these kinds of things, many people through these topics likely feel um, discombobulated, confused. Uh, maybe they feel clear in what's being said, but we feel deeply guilty. So we end this series on salvation. The topic of salvation is countercultural in this sense. God is the subject of the Bible's teaching on salvation, not the object. And that statement is countercultural. So just before I got up here, I looked online and I just went to Google and I typed in subject versus object. First thing that came up, as a basic rule, the subject is a person or thing doing something. The subject is the one doing something, where the object is the something having something done to it. English teachers, did I do a good job? If not, Google's wrong. So the idea is the object of something is something that's having something done to it that solicits the response. So in our culture, typically when you talk about these big ideas of religion or salvation, the issue is what we have to do to God as God is the object in order to get salvation. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches that God is the subject, the one doing the action that saves us. So here's a simple statement. Religion saves nobody. God does. Religion saves nobody. No order of salvation, no right liturgy of salvation, no amount of human things, what the Bible would call works that we can do, saves anybody. When people get in the current of God, people get saved. Salvation doesn't float. It always lands in real situations on real people. Let me say that again. Salvation doesn't float. It always lands in real situations on real people. Some of you have seen some semblance of this video before, but I want you to watch this and these stories of salvation. Take a look at the screen. My life before Jesus was a fake existence for 
as long as I can remember. It's probably the like D-list actress that um, grew up going to church, did Young Life, met my husband on a Young Life backpacking trip, kind of played all the Christian cards, but not very well. My life before Jesus was rough. I was living a life full of sin and just my back turned against the Lord. Um, it was tough. Yeah, I was just lost, I guess. Uh, addiction, uh, loneliness, anxiety. Pretty much, I feel like as bad as it could be. <laughs> Unstable. Um, I felt like I was relying heavily on just myself and my decisions. Um, it was just trying to find fulfillment in this world where there is none. Um, so I lived in a lot of fear and a lot of hiding and a lot of alcohol, which was my coping mechanism for a long time. So I don't know, it just felt really fake and really sad. And yeah, that was my life for almost my whole life. <laughs> so. I was bartending, um, and an altercation broke out. This this drunk dude, you know, was, was acting a fool, and uh, we got into like a little altercation. His nephew ended up putting me in a chokehold from behind, just came and just picked me up, and he ended up cracking me over the head with the alcohol bottle and splitting my head open. Um, I ended up being in the hospital for almost a week. Um, so obviously when I got out of the hospital, I had to quarantine for about two and a half, three weeks. Um, so I was, and that was really a lot of time to really figure out who I was, you know. So Sunday rolls around, I had no alarm set. Um, I, I, looking back on it, it's just crazy. I woke up with like motive to go to church. There was just like that, that motive. I was like, I need to go to church. I need to, I need to get right, you know, and um, so yeah, I woke up around like 7.15, you know, woke up, got ready, and I was just excited to, I just, I was like, I'm not doing anything else today, I'm going to church. Um, and there was a song, Remembrance, that came on, and we were worshiping, and it was like, you've been so, so good to me, and that was that line that just, I felt like he punched me in my, my chest, and everything, all that weight just came floating out the back, like you see in the movies. <laughs> where the soul leaves like the body. That's literally, if I had to put it in like an image, that's how it felt for me. Through everything that had kind of gone on the last couple years, I ended up in rehab um, and did not want to give over control of anything um, at all, which I think is a big part of why I was a fake believer. <laughs> I had just gotten kicked out of my therapist meeting and <laughs> reluctantly went and got a massage. This was in rehab, it was like a fancy one. <laughs> and um, I was laying on that massage table and I was just praying to whatever God I thought would listen. And he answered <laughs> and I got up and I went and asked the therapist if I could see her again. And I said, 
I'm yours. Like, take me from here and do what you need to do. And that was not me, because that was God. And that's when I knew that he was going to change me. <laughs> so hasn't been very long, but my life has changed dramatically. It's just crazy that I went from here to here in, in a matter of 24 hours. And some people's testimonies are years, and it's over a life. Over a lifetime, they're, they're really trying to know the Lord. And, or, you know, really, my life was just changed in 24 hours. I kid you not. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And I've been rocking ever since. It's been awesome. Well, I've always loved Exodus. Like, I remember as a kid, I would just, like, read it just for fun because I thought it was, like, a movie. Uh, and, like, for me, it's, like, I relate to it a lot because it's almost like I have my own Exodus where I was, like, a slave to addiction, to loneliness, to all that, and it's, like, someone saved me, so. There's a plan and a purpose for me and all of us that I am just pursuing and trying to run after because I know that any plan or any anything that I could have dreamed of for myself is nothing in comparison to what God has for me. Um, I just feel like my heart doesn't even know what to do with itself. I like feel like I'm not worthy of being the one that was so broken and now I feel so different. And so I just want everyone to feel that way. And so I'm excited for the bonds that I've made through that and just <laughs> everything. So I'm excited to give back. Even though it's only been six months, I, I feel like I just want to like share it with the world. So I'm excited for all of the future. You know what's great about those stories is when you listen to those stories, you, um, each one of you sitting out there, uh, you're moved to think. Uh, many of you are moved to remember. That was a word that Kendrick used up there, is to remember. You remember your stories. It's hard for me to watch that video no matter how many times I watch it and not get emotional. One, because I'm moved at how salvation uh, this biblical word of grace lands on real people in real situations. Um, I know some of those stories and how individuals being liberate begins to liberate families. Uh, as someone is freed by God's grace, other people are freed. And I love that there's a very wise statement um, that I love when you get in front of a lot of groups of people and it says, that which is personal is always the most general. Here's what that means, is when you speak personally about something you've encountered, this is why salespeople that are really good, when they speak personally, but when you get really to the depths of what reality is, when you speak personally, it's what hits the masses the most. When people share there in Christian circles, it's called testimonies, is where salvation lands. And these moments where it gets so personal, it hits you in your real situation, your real context, your real pain. The place of pain becomes a path to power <clears throat> because the God who is all-powerful touches us in the, in the midst of those moments. And when it touches you so personally and so practically, you want to sing. There's this passage 
<clears throat> sorry about that, that comes out of the book of Revelation, um, which is actually the verse that 710, the ministry that Paul and I met through that you hear about a lot here. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 10, there's a declaration of people, of all different kinds of people who have been touched by the salvation of God. After this, I looked, this is Revelation 7, 9, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, there's no other way to say all people of all types and all stripes, all economic classes, all melanin colors of their skin, all cultures, all classes, all those types of people are there. They're standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, who is Jesus. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. This is our primary passage today. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And they cried out. That means there is a loud declaration happening at that moment. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, in the midst of this scene of Revelation, there's all these angels. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God because God is worthy of worship, but also based upon this declaration that salvation belongs to our God, saying, amen. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to see. Those people of all types and all stripes are like so many of you. Salvation landed upon them. Salvation landed upon them to the point of tears where they would say, as Jen did, I feel unworthy even now. That statement of I feel unworthy now that she said that I would be a one who is so broken that would be able to receive this. Is this warring between what is countercultural about the message of the Bible? Because the war inside of us is this sense of the only way I get something that good, the only way I can position myself in right standing with God is for me to do something, is to put the whole message of salvation in this reality that God is the object, the one we have to appease with the works that we do. That's not the message of the Bible. God is the subject, the one doing it. Those stories of the people on the video, your stories, your children's stories, your parents' stories, the stories that's passed down for generation to generation are we, based upon nothing that we did, found ourselves in the midst of a current because God is a pursuing God who is the actor based upon what he's done and now we have stories and we can declare something that will teach us about salvation. Salvation belongs to our God. So let's look at Revelation 7.10 and just break this down for a minute. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation. Now I'll just say this rather than going into all of the etymology of the word and just say it a little more experientially. The human race has a lot we need to be saved from, right? Can I get an amen? Like we need a lot of saving. And even when we encounter it for the first time, it's crazy because we need it again and again and again and again, 
right? There's tons of us sitting in here right now that go, man, I would love to say I have this figured out, but I need outside help. I need salvation. And this is what an amazing thing about the biblical picture of salvation is that it's comprehensive. The scope of it is massive. There's nothing that falls out of the scope of the salvation of God. And yet the reason we need to be saved from so many of these different things is that what we ultimately need saved from, sin is what has broken everything in our world. It's what separated us and alienated us from the one we were made by and for in God. It's the one that separated us relationally from each other. Why all of our deepest joys and deepest sorrows are relational, the reason there's sorrows in the midst of that is because of sin. And God comes in as the savior to sin, but salvation, this is the key and where it's countercultural, belongs to God. So here's the simple statement. Salvation is God's property. Salvation is God's property. There's a story I absolutely love um, that my father-in-law, Tom, the founder of this church, told me about a friend of his. That's a lot of chain of relationship. But when he told me this, I remember laughing so hard, and he said, I have a friend of mine who's very wealthy, and one day he was driving down the freeway, and his son in the back seat said, hey, dad, are we rich? And his dad sat there and thought for a minute, it's like, why does that comment bother me so bad? Dad, are we rich? So it dawns on him, and he pulls over to the side of the road, gets off the exit, pulls over to the side of the road, and he turns around and goes, son, tell me again what the question you just asked was. And his son goes, I said, dad, are we rich? And he goes, son, let's get this straight. I'm rich. You're not. (laughs) Like, this money belongs to me. So in a very real sense, this is the moment where God's going, hey, don't miss this. Salvation belongs to me. Salvation is my property. Therefore, salvation is not a human achievement. Salvation is not in human control. Salvation is not in human control. Now, if you really understand salvation or you've worked very long at trying to accomplish it, your immediate one-word phrase should be, amen. Thank God that this isn't up to us. Here's a couple, um, five, just in a row, statements that I want to teach you about salvation not being in human control. Here's the first one. We do not own or control salvation. Now we is you and me. Everybody sitting in this room, every human being on earth, we do not own or control salvation. Here's the next one. If salvation belongs to God, we cannot dispense salvation to others. It's not ours to dispense. Here's the next one. We certainly cannot sell salvation. We can't offer it on our own terms, though many religions do so, including some perverted forms of Christianity down through the ages. We can't sell it. No institution, even if they have a cross above it, can sell salvation. No religion can sell salvation because it doesn't belong to them. It doesn't belong to us. Salvation belongs to God. Here's the next one. We are not the ones who decide who gets to have salvation or not. This is a big one. 
because around a lot of dinner tables or around a lot of coffees, the language that we use and the way we articulate it is that we determine who's in and who's out. We don't. God does. We're not the ones who decide who gets to have salvation or not. Here's the last one based upon salvation not being in our control. We cannot threaten We cannot take away salvation from those to whom God has granted it. It is God's decision. It is God's gift, not ours. Now, to me, those are five very liberating truths. Right? Those are five very liberating truths because I don't and cannot hold the weight of controlling anyone's salvation most of which is my own. I oftentimes feel far more, I mean all the time, feel far more like Paul in Romans 7 when he goes, listen, the things I want to do, I don't even do. And in fact, the things I don't want to do, I do. And then his statement is like, I, the Apostle Paul, the one who knows all these Hebrew scriptures, the one who nations upon nations know of me, I can't do it on my own, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's not up to me. But salvation is God's property. Salvation belongs to God. It's God's property. So here's six things in a row. We're teaching right now. Six things in a row about how salvation belongs to God. We're going to run through these. Salvation is initiated by God's grace, not our works, by God's gracious gift, what he delivers. It is achieved by God's power. Just stop there for a minute. That means he actually has the power to distribute it. He actually has the power to save. The Bible says, is his arm too short to save? The rhetorical answer is no. No. He saves and saves and saves and saves and saves. Yes, salvifically, ultimately from our sin, but you right now, he saves in the midst of your marriage. He saves financially. He saves physically at many points. It's initiated by grace. It's achieved by God's power offered on God's terms, not on ours. It's initiated by God's grace, achieved by God's power, offered on God's terms, accomplished by God's son. This is why when you show up in a church, so oftentimes the answer all the time is Jesus. Because if the fundamental issue with the world is it's broken, and the fundamental fixer is God reconciling to the world, to himself, in Christ, that's God's son. It's accomplished by God's son. And the last one is, it is secured by God's promises. It's secured by God's promises. Is there one more? Guaranteed by God's sovereignty. Okay, we have taught this forever at Redemption Gilbert. Salvation is God's to dispense. He is sovereign. If you are sitting here and you are a believer that salvation has landed upon you, it's landed upon you because it was initiated by God. 
It was achieved by God. It was offered by God. It was accomplished by God. It was secured by God. And it is guaranteed by, and let me just say the word and you'll feel sovereignty, God. If it was done by anybody other than that, it isn't secure. It isn't accomplished. It isn't guaranteed. But because it was done by God, it is. Amen? Amen. Salvation is God's property. It's not a human achievement. It belongs to God. Here's the best part in my mind of this message. Salvation belongs to our God. It's relational. And it gets distributed and disseminated by God over and over and over again because salvation is who God is. Let me step back for a minute and let me say that. Salvation is God's identity. In the core of who the God of the universe is. And let me just say this. There are so many of us sitting in this room right now that when we talk about God, when God gets brought up, we shift in our seats because we know God ultimately is, if there's a God, he's all powerful. But if there's a God, you know intuitively and intrinsically, you don't really deserve this. You know intuitively and intrinsically, he sees it all. His eyes are like the best MRI machine. He sees it all, past, present, future. He knows you better than you know yourself. And truth be told, that makes us really uncomfortable. If there's a God that's that all-knowing, If there's a God that's that all-powerful, if there's a God who's seen it all and knows it all, and in fact doesn't just see it all and knows it all, but was there every time anything ever happened, we get uncomfortable. Because we know us. We identify with Paul. Listen, I'm not even living up to my own standards. And it bugs me all the time. The situations are challenging like crazy, but folks, if God in his very nature is a savior, our seats settle. Our seats, like our butts, can settle a bit. And we can begin to, rather than turn and try to run away from the one we can never run away from, we can begin to turn around and walk. God constantly saves. There's this passage in Acts chapter four that I want to read to us and then make some observations of it as we begin to come to an end here. Then Peter, this is Acts chapter four, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, he's speaking to a bunch of rulers and religious leaders, rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
Now, Harley, would you just go back to the beginning of that? Here's a couple of things I just want to say to you. This is a real situation. Remember when we said salvation doesn't float. Salvation lands in real situations on real people. The Holy Spirit's God and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit to speak on behalf of God, speaks to these religious leaders. These religious leaders who believe salvation could be dispensed by their authoritative structures. Can it? Can it? Just tell me you, you, you listened to me before. No. The Holy Spirit fills them and he says, rulers and elders of the people, you're frustrated right now. This is what he goes on to say. Ultimately, you're frustrated right now because God displayed his, look at this word, kindness. The identity of God is a savior, but if you break down what that means, God is kind. The Holy Spirit is kind. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So God moves in on the scene and shows kindness to a man who's crippled. Now, there are people in this room right now whose physical bodies are doing all kinds of things you don't want them to do. And what you want them to do, they don't. Can I get an amen? amen. And you go, who will deliver me from this body of death? And someone's going to step up and go, listen, God does that, but in a spiritual sense, not in a physical sense. Does he do it in a physical sense all the time? No. But does he do it in a physical sense ultimately? This is for another message. Yes, the resurrection of the body in the Bible. But does he meet so many of us right here and right now physically? Does his kindness see a man who's lame? See somebody whose body is broken down. See somebody who's mentally a mess and touch them in his kindness. Yes, because his very identity is as a savior. But these people are mad about it. So you're mad about an act of kindness shown today to a man who is lame and you're being asked how he was, what's the word? How he was what? Healed. Now let me ask you, right now, God's salvation lands in real situations and upon real people. So many of us for different reasons right now are going, I just want to be healed. Beyond physically, mentally, relationally, emotionally. Here's the biggest one, spiritually. God is a kind healer. Verse 10. Then know this, you and all the people, you and all the people throughout history, all the people of Israel, right now, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Okay, your sinfulness, your desire for control took God and crucified him. Now, this is the part I just want to say. God is in his nature a savior, and when saving necessitates a death, who takes up the role of dying? God. Why? Because it's who he is. It's his very nature. God is love. He loves his kids. For God so loved the world that he gives his only begotten son that whosoever believed wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. It's Jesus of Nazareth whom they crucified that he willingly allowed himself to be crucified and then proved he was God by raising Jesus from the dead that this man, the reason this man's healed is because Jesus rose from the dead. 
The reason you right now can be saved, no matter your situation, no matter where you stand, is because Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. Because God's the dispenser of grace. God's the holder of salvation. God's the initiator of salvation, and he's the one willing to deliver it. Verse 11. So here's the message. Jesus, the stone that so many of us, just like they, rejected, is the cornerstone. He's God, folks. He's the grain of the universe that you don't go against. That when we go against it, we get splinters. Verse 12, salvation, 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 salvation in every sense. And ultimately in the salvific sense of what separates us from God and each other's sin, salvation's found in no one else. For there is no other name. Let me say it again. No other name under heaven given, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. That's a true statement. Is that what the verse says? No. Folks, God says this by which you and I, don't look at the person next to you, you right now in your situation, right here and right now, must be saved. There's no other way. There's no other savior. There's people who will help praise be to God. And even those are the gift of God's grace. There are tools you can practice when you leave here to help you relieve your anxiety. There's medicines we can take to help our bodies. There is nobody, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but at the name of Jesus Christ. So as we close right here, I want to say this as explicitly and clearly as I can. Salvation is who God is. Salvation is who God is because God is love. The heart of the Father being revealed to us in his very own Son is being revealed to each one of us today. At the end of a series called Countercultural Convictions, where all of us are trying to figure stuff out, where all of us, many of us are feeling guilty in this moment, God saves God wants to meet you right here, right now. He's pursuing, he's talking. Don't ignore his voice. You can ignore mine. Don't ignore his voice. And here's the moment. If today is the day of salvation, we have stuff set up, corners set up for prayer because we aren't the dispensers of salvation. We're gonna ask the God who is. If you want prayer today, you can go to one of those tables here in just a minute. There'll be people stationed there. I'm gonna be right here. The music will be a little bit louder. I would love to pray with any of you because I can't make your eyes see Jesus. I can't make your ears hear Jesus. God can do that, and I really believe he will. I really, really believe he will. This truth that we just declared is why every single week, there's right in front of you, there's this little cup, um, COVID cups, I call them, um, COVID communion cups. This bread is Christ's body, which was shredded for us, right? In the midst of this, he was crucified on our behalf. And God says this, that in this moment, God will meet every single one of us if we partake of him. So this is a moment where any of you who even people in here who go, man, I don't think I ever believed it before, but like that guy Kendrick said on the video, there's certain moments, it's like God just puts his hand through us and everything of like sin just explodes out of us and our hearts are open to the God of the universe. 
Today could be the day of first salvation for you, where you actually come into a personal relationship with Jesus. For everybody else, God knows he saves and saves and saves and saves again, and he never wants us to forget it's in Jesus. So in remembrance of him, let us partake of his body. And then let us never forget as we partake of his body that this came at great cost, the shedding of his blood, the very life of Jesus being taken out of him on the cross, the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let us drink in forgiveness of sin. I'm gonna pray right now, and I really am gonna invite you. Um, I just wanna give this image of the parable of the prodigal son is he reluctantly just began to walk. And as he got within distance, God ran. Where this son was convinced there was gonna be punishment, he found a party. So I just invite you, even in all of your reluctance, just walk to one of those tables and ask for prayer in the midst of your confusion. If today's the first day, ask for prayer for salvation from sin. And let me just say this to you, Christian. You might have walked an aisle before, set an altar call, um, done whatever it is that you do, but you've continued to sin. God still saves you. It's his kindness that'll lead us to repentance. Stand up and, and walk um, at this moment and receive the initiation and the securing of God's grace. There'll be people at all of these places for prayer. Let me pray. God, I'm so aware right now that I am not the one who can dispense salvation. I can't be the one to flip on the light for anybody in this room, but you can. And I believe you're already doing it, and I pray that you do more of it right now. God, that you turn on the light for people. I pray that we would experience today the power and the precision of your salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.